So I need an extra level of grace this Sunday. I uh, arrived home at 5 a.m. from Boise. My grandmother passed away last weekend, so I was there participating with the funeral. So if I pass out mid-sermon, just don't tell me about it. So... But if you would, if you already have or still have your Bibles open to Hebrews 10, we will be there this morning. And we've been talking about this passage for a few weeks. And I've said, I've given many reasons for why I've wanted to do that. Um, What I hope has happened as we have looked at these verses is that it has begun to form or even transform your view of what a church should be, what life together as Christians ought to be. I pray that it has given you a radical new vision of what it can be for us to live as one in Christ. Yes, even in the face of the pandemic and the elongation of restrictions, we're in phase four for at least two more weeks, so everything's not back to normal. But these verses, this is it. This is the life we're called to as Christians. So I'll read it again and just let the word wash over you. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed With pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So, the question for us today that fits with the Lord's Supper, and baptism. Who is the us? These are commands for us. Who is he talking about? And and more importantly, how should we take this plural? And there are a few options. Uh, As we try to answer this question, who is the us here? We're going to look through different possibilities. The first is, is the us just the congregation the author is writing to? It's been very clear. I've tried to underscore this each time. The author of Hebrews is not just some academic who's writing about the theology of Jesus as great high priest. He's not just sending it out there like a blog post, hoping that some people stop by and read it, you know, so he can get clicks and ad revenue. It's not that. It is a church that he cares for deeply. And he is writing to them, appealing to them to hold fast to Christ, to consider Jesus, to exhort one another. But when we read it, are we just supposed to think, okay, these commands aren't for me. They're just for the congregation that the author is writing to. No. 
2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness that the man of God, with no reference to time, past, present or future, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So these exhortations, these three commands, if you will, though it is for that specific congregation, it's also for us because it's scripture. It's like Paul says in the Old Testament, everything written in former days was written for our benefit. So this is for you. It's not just the people he's talking to. When Jesus is being tempted by the devil in the wilderness, he says, I'm sure you're hungry, Jesus. Why don't you turn these stones into bread? And what is Jesus' answer? Man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So if we consider this God's word, it is not only for us, it is essential for us. So he's not just speaking of the congregation. That's not how we should view those commands. So let me ask this. Is the us here maybe your family unit or you and your spouse? Certainly that's included if if your family includes Christians. And even if they're not believers, you're supposed to exhort them and point them to Christ. So certainly that's included, but that's not all that is meant here. Jesus says in Matthew 10, Do not think that I have come to bring peace on the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set man against father, and daughter against her mother, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The kingdom of God cuts through family lines. And sometimes it severs. So these commands can't just be to you and your family. The kingdom of God is not, this is the point, and this is a flavor of some people that talk about Christianity, it's not merely a confederacy of Christian families. That's not what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is one family with one father and one older brother. The point is here that faith should run thicker than blood. So is the us here, so we've seen it's not just the congregation, it's not just my family. Uh, Is the us here my close Christian friends? Those I'm really close to and those that I really know. Well, I don't think so at all. Because if you were here with us when we went through chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, take care, brothers lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened. None of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So it can't just be those that you're really close with, those that you really enjoy being around. That's not the us here.
Is the us just those who are as mature or as serious as you about Jesus? That's a real strong temptation for many. I'm going to only lock arms with, I'm only going to walk with, I'm only going to enter community with who take this thing as seriously as I do. That's a trap for all of us, right? But Paul, in Romans 15, verse 1, says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. So the us can't just mean those who are at the same level as you or have the same interests as you or those that don't rub you the wrong way. So is the us, let's, let's try to think more broad, is, is the, does it mean all Christians everywhere or all Christians throughout time? I don't think it can mean that, and it's specifically from the text. And I want you to see this. This is a glorious transition to what the whole point of this is. Verse 24, And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. You can't meet together with all Christians everywhere, yet. One day you will, one day we will, we'll all be there together before the throne. But for now, you can't meet with all Christians everywhere, especially all those throughout time. It can't happen till the Lord returns and takes us home. Another verse um, that I've mentioned before in this, this emphasis on these verses is Galatians 6, verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Every Christian's burden everywhere, you can't do it. You don't even know it. So it can't mean that. can't mean all Christians everywhere. We usually import that. Well, we just say that means the church. That means Christians generally. It can't mean just that. No. I think it's very clear that the us here has to mean the local church, a specific congregation, a collection, a a sphere of commitment, a covenant community of believers who, who have this level of devotion to one another's good, where they can meet together. Commands the author gives us here can't and don't work unless there is a local church. And that's the apostolic pattern. If you read through Acts, you watch what the apostles did, they're starting new individual churches. They're not just going around preaching the gospel. They're doing that. But the whole point is to create communities of faith where they can do this, where they can meet together and encourage one another and exhort one another. The local church as a, an idea has fallen on hard times for the last several decades. But the Lord gives us this pattern to follow, this trajectory to follow. And there are many implications for what it means to be a healthy Christian and what it means to be a healthy church. We're not just a collection, like I said, a confederacy of Christian families or a confederacy of individual Christians. 
who are just like loosely associated. We're all kind of independent. We're all doing our own thing. We all have our own journey with Jesus, and we kind of get together, and maybe we'll help each other in that journey, and then we'll go home. It is a family. You are stockholders in each other's spiritual lives. You are gathered together. If you read the flavor of Paul in Acts chapter 17, the implication is that God is providentially ordaining even the places where we live so that he would draw men to himself. So the reason you're here in this town, maybe this is the only option for you church-wise, theologically or otherwise or location, that's God's wisdom to make it so. The two proofs I will give, and we'll, uh, we'll just read a few passages of Scripture, are specifically the Lord's Supper and baptism. From Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And that's it would be just great if he stopped talking there. And we could just fill in the blank with whatever we wanted to do to live a life worthy of the calling that he's given us. Oh, my calling is this. Your calling is that. Let's just live out our calling and not get into each other's business. But of course, he continues. This, beginning in verse 2, is what the life worthy of the calling is. With all humility, gentleness, Patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And here's what I referenced earlier. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. The Lord gives us baptism as a church, as an individual congregation. This is, this is stunning once you realize this. It is not for you to take unto yourself by yourself. You can't walk down to Hayden Lake or Spokane River and say, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit, and fall in the water, and that count as baptism. It's not. It is given to the church so that we would know who's in the family. Who is the us? Who are those that we are then required to do this with? Who is it then that we are to give our lives to? Who is it that we belong to in a very real sense? Who is it that we're supposed to meet together Who is it that we're supposed to strive to consider how to stir them up to love and good works? Who are we supposed to encourage? God gives us this entry point of baptism. The baptized believer's body is holy ground because then that person is identifying themselves with the Lord. I am one of you. You are of me. There is one baptism. And not just baptism, the Lord's Supper. If you would turn to 1 Corinthians 11. This is the classic passage on the Lord's Supper. 
And I want to, what I want you to think about as I read this, this is, this is almost always read when a church takes the Lord's Supper, but I want you to consider not just for yourself what it means, right? You're, you're supposed to take stock and think about your life and make sure that you take the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner, but feel and hear and think about the flavor of the church, the body, as I read through this. I'll just make a few comments as we go through. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. There's something wrong. They're they're not practicing it in the right way. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you might be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. Even though they're trying to make it the Lord's Supper, they call it the Lord's Supper. They dress it up the right way. They maybe even say the right words before him. But Paul says it's, you're not doing it right. You're not thinking of it the right way. So it, it's invalidating it. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. So because they are not taking it as a body in unity, loving one another, it invalidates it completely. So you can't, in the same way, you can't just fall into a river or lake or creek and call it baptism. You can't go to the store, buy the elements, go to your house, buy yourself, take it to yourself and call that the Lord's Supper. It doesn't work that way. It is as a church. It is a family meal. Verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you, plural. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, a covenant made with the people. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you Eat this bread and drink the cup. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And here's what to ponder as we consider this. Hopefully we we have a spirit of unity and uh, we understand that this is a family meal and that's the spirit with which we take it in. But consider these for yourself individually, these, these words. Whoever, see, bringing it to the individual, whoever therefore eats the bread, or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we have judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, brothers, when you come together to eat, meaning the Lord's Supper, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. So as I said, the 
restrictions have been elongated, so we're trying to do our best to uh, not go, plunge headlong into something that would be unwise, so we're not passing a plate today. Um, so if you would, when you're ready, if we could go back on this aisle and come up this one and take one of the cups and one of uh, one of the cups of juice and one of the cup of bread. There is gluten-free here as well. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for all that you have done. You've united us as a family and given us these tangible, simple, basic signs for knowing who is in the family, who is the us. Every culture has bread and the fruit of the vine and water. So we thank you for the simplicity and the beauty of that entry point. And I pray that as we take this, we, we understand what it is. Pray that you would teach us and show us what it is we are saying as we take the body and blood of Jesus. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to read scripture as we take this. So when you're ready, you can just get up and come and take. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we would desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people? 
And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sins of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. The body and blood of Christ. Taste and see that the Lord is good. 